Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on the rundown. Welcome, everyone, to episode 42 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a production by Workforce LLC. I'm your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Haley Crouch, Director of Strategy and Associate Principal at Bielaski. Haley, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. Um, let's jump in. We got a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. Um, some fun questions, some serious questions and everything in between. But let's start with uh, Akron. You currently live in Akron. Um, you do something that not a lot of people are doing anymore, which is called a commute back in 2019. That was a very uh, familiar word, I think, the last two years. I don't know if everyone's doing that anymore. But yeah, it's true. <laughs> you commute to uh, Cleveland uh, for your work. And it seems like, you know, I mean, that, that the running joke is, you know, the commute is a lost art nowadays. But what are you listening to in the in the car to Cleveland and then back to Akron? Are you listening to podcasts, music, shows? What are you listening to? Are you calling people? What are you, what are you doing? What's your routine? You're right. So commuting is an art. And I've, even before the pandemic, I've really valued the buffer time between work and home. Um, and it's just having that preset personal time, that alone time, um, to reflect or unwind, or, you know, I do call my parents or my friends. It's kind of like, I know I can count on this, you know, 30 minutes or 35 minutes to check in with my parents. Um, but I'll share a longtime favorite podcast is WTF with Mark Marin. Um, yes. Paul, you should definitely be <laughs> listening, listening to him. Um, many consider him to be the best interviewer of our times. Um, his style is raw, witty, truthful, vulnerable, and I just can't recommend these enough. There's bound to be a celebrity or a role model or an idol on his kind of list that, you know, would resonate with you. Just pick one and um, go deep. Um, I usually also have one audiobook um, as a commute option, and I just started The Mind of a Bee, um, which was released over the summer, um, which explores a step beyond the power of bees as a hive mind, which I think, you know, we inherently know, you know, bees work well as a collective, um, but actually taking it a step further and looking at bees for their individual intellect and individual personality. So that's been kind of fun to um, absorb. Interesting. So tell me, I cannot jump into audiobooks. I have to read and <laughs> I, it, I, it's a mental block. I, I fear that I won't count it as like I absorbed this book. Like to me, it's like, if I read a book, it's like, all right, I did it. I read the book. I'm putting it on my shelf. It's like a, it's like a physical routine. I feel like mm -hmm. if I listen to a book, I, I maybe my mind will want, like, do you enjoy that better than reading? I love both. And maybe it sounds like you need a commute to actually I do need a commute. have um, to fill the time, but I, you know, my book club actually talked about this two meetings ago and it was pretty interesting. I forgot what celebrity, um, some famous musician was just kind of um, actually really harsh on the audiobook fans and saying that's not real reading. Um, and I, for me, 
you know, two things came up relative to that. Like one, you know, audiobooks are more inclusive, right? I mean, is Braille not true reading? Um, so I just think that, you know, there are different ways to absorb that. And just also thinking about how um, audiences and communities absorbed stories in the past, right? You think about the news of the world, the, the Tom Hanks movie, right? Where everyone gathered round and Tom Hanks gave the news and gave the stories and gave the headlines. And it was all um, audio, right? And it wasn't by newspaper. And I think that it's still really kind of a really valid um, medium to absorb stories um, and books. Yeah, I, I gotta give it a try. I mean, even if it's just sitting, you know, during start work, with a short but... one. Mind of the Bee is like an eight-hour commitment, so okay. you could probably knock it out in a week. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so let's let's uh, switch gears to you. So I did a little reading and uh, listening to some other podcasts that you were on, and you know, you described yourself as a strategist and a trusted advisor within your own company. Um, tell us what this means, right? And and specifically in terms of your day-to-day -day responsibilities within your role. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so if you're ready for a nerdy analogy that I love to use um, when I try to describe what I do to my parents or people outside of the industry, um, I describe it as Star Trek's counselor, Deanna Troy, for all of the fans of Star Trek. Um, while yeah. the ship needs engineers, doctors, and navigators, she's the one that supports them all so they can be their best. Um, so she helps them weather the storms. She's the moral compass. Um, and I really just can't imagine doing anything else. So that's, that's like the high level of, you know, why I'm, why I'm, you know, the strategist. And so day to day, this could be many aspects. It could be including business development, strategic planning, marketing, HR from culture, um, DE&I strategy. It, it really is kind of flexing so many muscles um, on any one day. So that's so, <laughs> it see When you and I talked before this, it seems as if you guys are on the forefront of a potential new C-suite position, right? Like not everyone, a lot, a lot of the roles and day-to-day -day responsibilities that you described most companies just ask someone else to do on top of their already, whether it's a CEO or COO, they're just like, hey, yeah, make sure you're paying attention to all this stuff, you know, which is, mm -hmm. it's ridiculous, actually, when you kind of back up and you think, how is one person supposed to do all this? So it makes sense that you guys are hiring specifically for this, and you are the person managing these responsibilities. But what will it take, in your opinion, for companies to follow your lead? with this position? I love that you asked this. So you're right, this old model is for organizations to take all of that soft stuff, the extra stuff, and then push it on to leaders who already have a clear focus and a full plate. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we've done that for some years. Um, you know, we were founded in 1951 and I feel like just now we're really um, getting it right. And <laughs> Um, in terms of that, and it's really great. Um, so, you know, the case for doing it a different way, um, it's, I'm just encouraged to see that organizations are starting to move away from that, um, away from that model. I think the benefit of creating positions, even from within, I mean, my position was created from within um, due to 
a clear need, which is what you're talking about. Like um, we need someone to focus on this and then a clear person that cares about that stuff. And it kind of, you know, a, a new role was created. Um, so, you know, the benefit of creating these positions um, centered on strategy and inclusion is that organizations will have an emotionally intelligent leader, right? You know, and leaders, I should say plural, that are unlike those around the table already. Um, you'll have someone who sees this work as part of their purpose rather than adding it on as an extra, um, who might, you know, adding it on to someone who might see it as a distraction or a chore. Um, some of the really great positions that have emerged um, recently, titles, I think in other companies and just looking at the trends of different kinds of roles that exist now to compared to even five years ago, our chief belonging officer, chief people officer. Um, I'm really excited that um, Kent State just created a new role called the Director of Design Entrepreneurship and Inclusion. Um, that, so that's really exciting. So, um, but you asked, you know, what will it take? Um, it, it really will take a mind shift um, for companies to kind of move in this direction. Um, and this approach might not be right for every organization, but it should be a conscious decision um, rather than the decision happening to you. Um, it really takes organizations to self-audit and understand where they fall short. Um, and it just takes also being honest about your resources um, and how your leader's time is best used as well. Yeah, I want to follow up on that. You said it's a conscious decision. Right. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about, because correct me if I'm wrong, you essentially pitched this position, correct? Did I read that correctly? Yeah, it was, it was joint. Um, but you but know, it's I not like the company yeah. said, Hey, we, we have, it was, I think we have this need. You worked yep. on it yourself. You worked on, you know, wh whether it was with someone or not, but right. it was in your brain and you said, okay, let me see what this position would do. What, what are my strengths? Um, and how can I help? I think right. it does take that. So I want to I want to have you answer the question of if someone is listening to this and sitting here at a job and they think, crap, we need this. Like, what is the step? Because that's a hard, you know, it's it's almost as as scary as asking for a promotion. It's kind of what you yes. are asking for. Right. You're like, OK, look, I think we have this need within our company. I want to be the person to fill the gap. What do you do? How do you present that? It was really tough. Um... And you're right. I mean, I walked into that conversation um, with Jack Bielowski Jr. Um, and David Cron, thinking I am an underperforming person in this company. Um, and I am asking for this chance and asking essentially for maybe what you would call a, a promotion, but maybe just a, a shift into a role that's actually completely overhead. So it would mean that it was at be at cost to the company um, rather than, you know, you know, architects and lawyers can actually build their time like so many others, but I would not, you know, be in that position. So it would be a total new overhead cost. Um, and here you are as an overhead or as an underperforming employee asking for this. And um, what they said, you know, it wasn't, I, sh I guess I shouldn't have been so scared because they said we imagined this would happen all along <laughs> and they were waiting for me to find um, my path instead of doing what 
we were just talking about the old model of telling me, um, you know, you should, you're, you're better at this. You should just give this up and you should, you know, we need you here. And so I think, you know, for anyone that is listening um, that might want kind of a role shift or even a role add, if there's some, if you like what you're doing, but you want to be doing um, more or extra or, you know, hybrid kind of work, I think, you know, finding the people at your organization who believe in you and, and really growing advocates and internal you know, cheerleaders for you, which is something I've, I've done myself. And I, I encourage everybody to do that is so important because mm -hmm. those are the people who will go to bat for you um, and will help you. So you don't have to kind of convince leadership of this alone. And I think also um, even listening to podcasts like this and others that interview a array of people, um, surfing LinkedIn and snooping at the job titles that really excite you. These are all kind of ways to kind of hone in like, okay, like that excites me. I want to learn more. And then even reaching out to people, even on LinkedIn or otherwise and say, tell me more about what your role is. Tell me, and just learning, um, you know, what other people do. I think we're kind of you know, even early as, as young children are given this stack of like, um, jobs, you know, from the game of life, right. You can either be an artist, you can be a doctor, you can be a rock star, you can be a lawyer. Um, but you know, it really is freeing when you realize that it it's beyond that deck of, of 10 career cards that you can be. So I think do your own research, um, talk to people who have interesting titles to you and to grow your internal champions and advocates or would be my advice. Well, I certainly wish Rockstar was in my uh, yeah. stack. I never got nice that one. That, I, I, that was never presented. And I think that if it was, that's what I would have been. Yeah. Um, okay, so that was super helpful. I appreciate that. Because I do think that's something that people struggle with all the time. They're in a role that might not be necessarily what they love or they're super passionate about. Um, and they don't know how to get out, but they want to stay with that company. So, okay, let's talk about office space. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I wish we were talking about the movie, great movie, but yeah. um, a, a hot topic on this podcast obviously has been the return to work, very uh, opinionated subject, as you can imagine. Um, I don't, we don't want to jump into what's going to happen or what, whether we should or hybrid or whatever. I want to know what businesses will win and what will the relevance of the future office space be? Because I think mm -hmm. that has dramatically shifted. Yeah, love that you asked this question. And um, Bioloski has so many clients now that we're helping um, determine what that answer is, right? You know, as we kind of either um, redesign or retrofit um, these spaces now that people are returning to work and wondering what what we really need. Um, but I I do share the opinion with so many leaders that the physical office has a place in our present and in our future. Um, our, our workplaces will only thrive if there's a reason to be there. Um, if people see that that's where the magic happens, that's what we say in our office. How, how do we make this the place where the magic happens? And if um, the place that they feel connected to each other. Um, so 
I, I've been thinking about this analogy in my head. Imagine an Olympic championship team not having a training center mm-hmm. that, you know, they could each be training solo in different locations. Um, but the ability for the group to be so in sync, so in step, to anticipate each other, to pull each other up becomes so much harder. Um, I'll say that workplace design is important. Um, It is the undercurrent that can either support or cripple performance culture and efficiency and workplace should be stepping up where our home offices cannot. Um, It has to be the place where we find inspiration, where we find motivation and where we find community. I mean, I thrive because that's where the design community is, right? It's not here where I am today in my home office. I want to be with my people. I want to be with my peers. I want to be me with my mentors. So that is, I think, why there will always be relevance to the physical office. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of talk to about young people and the disadvantages that they're facing in terms of camaraderie, promotions, just that that ability to walk down the hall and ask a question instead of scheduling a Zoom, hey, do you have five minutes on team? Like just the quick, hey, I had a question, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, that's those interpersonal relationships, skill, you get to know people. Like you can't, you can't get to know people over Zoom. And look, like this is a millennial saying this, you know, we always yes. grab for everything really. Uh, but I would love to go back to the office. You know what I mean? And, and I'm not saying five days a week, nine to five, you got to sit in your desk. Like we had it, but to your point, finding this new balance, the magic, like, I don't think anyone was thrilled with how it was set up in 2019. You know, we need change. I think the companies that will win in 2030 are figuring that out right now. Right. And what their offices look like and, and, you know, it's, it's beyond ping pong tables now, you know, it's, yes. it's, it's beyond yeah, that. That's just decor to me. Um, the ping pong stuff, but <laughs> I agree with you. I, I do hope that, um, younger people listening, I'm also an elder millennial, um, you know, Paul. So I'm just wondering, you know, Gen Z, um, I, I want them to feel connected to company purpose and want them to feel connected to, um, you know, their cohort, um, Mm -hmm. they should be connected to their mentors, their role models, all of that. And that really happens in the office, in the nonprofit organizations that you um, up into, into um, young professional communities, you know, like Cleveland 2030 Club, there's so many um, that, you know, they can be plugged into. So I'm really pro that. Um, And I think you can have both. And I think you, like you said, you, you don't have to, you know, be all in the office or all um, at home. But I really feel like, you know, being physically present also is becoming like this lost art that was already um, being threatened before um, COVID. And now it's just kind of, you know, we're, we're in a world of digital distractions. And so this is kind of even harder um, and more challenging for people. And I just want, um, really hope that young people take the time to be present, take the time to show up, um, take the time for relationship building, everything that you're saying, I totally agree with. So in a recent article you wrote, you mentioned that when you made your decision, um, 
about this new position that your stomach was in knots over rejecting, you know, the quote unquote traditional path in architecture. My question is, regardless of the field, why is it so hard for us as a people to stray from the straight and narrow, even though we look at stories every day and we envy the people that make that choice, right? We were always envious of the people that, that made the leap or decided to take a chance on a business or, you know, whatever it is. Why is it so hard? It may go back to your point of what was presented to people as kids of like the stack, right? Like, why is it so hard for us to just take that leap? Knowing that, like, we almost know that even if we fail in whatever the venture is, it'll be worth it, right? Like, we kind of have that intrinsic like knowledge, but we it's still so scary. Right. This is a great question. So um, it is very hard to put yourself in a place of discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, straying from the straight and narrow means raising your hand, putting a lot at risk, stepping into unknown territory, and often at a time when you could just stay comfortable. And um, it's hard to go against a proven path that has worked well for so many before you, right? Um, I can clearly remember having an unplanned heart-to-heart with my parents who sacrificed a lot for my architectural education about why I wasn't destined to be an architect. You know, they they paid for architecture school and couldn't understand why I wasn't, you know, from A to B um, become, you know, become an architect. And I think um, that it's just a lot of risk and discomfort, which is why it makes it unnatural um, for people to raise their hand to do that. Um, but to the last part of your question about how we tend to admire those that go off the beaten path, uh, people find risk takers and disruptors fascinating, maybe even heroic. Um, And we see them as fearless pioneers, but rarely do we peel back the whole story and peel back the curtain to show the doubt and the anxiety um, that certainly was a part of the journey. Um, We really only see, you know, kind of the the finish line. And um, I think you know, I would love to see more stories about, you know, the doubt and anxiety and fears that, you know, go along with taking an untraditional path. And and that's something that I'm really open about. Uh, I feel like almost every decision in our lives could be boiled down to pain avoidance or like pleasure seeking, right? So we mm-hmm. do whatever we're doing, it's one of those. And I would say the vast majority of people are pain avoidance, right? So it's, to your point, it's uncomfortable being uncomfortable. It's scary taking a leap. I got a good job. Why am I rocking the boat? You know, but you, you it comes down to this concept. I, I, I can't remember who I learned it from. Too many podcasts over the last decade. But, um, you know, you, you have to choose your pain. So, you know, if, if you're trying to get in better shape, well, you have to either choose your pain of being out of shape or getting in shape. Those are two different pains. You have to choose, mm-hmm. right? Those Both of them are not fun. Um, whether you're going on a diet, well, you have to choose your pain of still eating poorly or you have to choose your pain of eating better, right? They're both, they're both not fun. You can literally do this for anything. But in this job example, it's like 
are you and this we're, I'm really only referring to people that are like unhappy in their role if you're happy right. you did it you, you you've made it you've solved the Rubik's Cube but if you're unhappy in your role and you're trying to maybe start a business or do something you have to choose it right you have to either choose this kind of like I'm comfortable but not exactly thrilled or super passionate about it or you have to choose that pain of oh this is going to be scary who knows what's on the other side of this what if I fail what is everyone going to think what are my parents going to think like that's that big leap that I think people have to get over. Yeah, it's true. And I want to really recognize that not everybody is in a position um, to do that risk taking. And that is okay. I mean, I think, you know, people are financial providers, people mm -hmm. who are parents um, that when they look at that, you know, benefit versus risk, um, yeah. maybe that isn't right for them. And they don't want to put all of that at risk. They don't want to put their partner's health insurance at risk, or they don't want to, you know, jeopardize um, their children's future. And I totally just want to recognize that that is a total reality. And I was kind of in a young position where I could make the risk and still potentially bounce back. So, you know, again, um, I think everybody, this is something you have to do self-reflecting, um, reflect with the people that this will affect in your life too. Um, and make the decision together if this, you know, to take a chance or to, um, stay put. Yeah, for sure. Um, in that same article, you, mentioned, uh, you know, do not accept the default definition of success, which I love. I, I love that, that thought. Um, and it kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about. I mean, so often we fall into the trap of, you know, a uh, good nine to five job, house, wife, 2.5 kids, the fence, the, the dog, you know what I mean? Like that, that was the American dream. Um, how do we break out of that, that, that mental of, that might look like success on paper, but success for me looks completely different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I've only recently kind of learned this, that success is always in the eye of the beholder. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the same person could be seen as successful or a failure, depending on the on the beholder. Um, wild example, um, just to try to illustrate this, um, many view Meghan Markle as a successful philanthropist and world leader. And at the same time, others may see her as a career quitter that married a prince. So I think both can be true to right um, to whoever the beholder is. And I think that what matters is being able to step into each day and own your purpose. Um, that purpose could be being a parent, could be being an entrepreneur or a financial provider. Um, the, and the purpose can and should evolve, you know, change yeah. is easier when you discover that you're not living out your purpose. Like we talked about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to shift your mind, you know, because we've, we've essentially been drilled since we're young, like go to school, go to college, get job, start family. Like <laughs> that's it. Right. Like that's the path. And I think we're we're we've talked about this on on previous episodes a ton that like college is shifting right like the ROI there is I mean this is a generality but like no longer there it just doesn't make sense to go into that much debt for what we get so like that's starting to shift people are starting families later people are getting married later having kids later like the whole context of what we grew up with 
is starting to shift and I think shift for the better. It's just, you know, I, and I think Gen Z is going to, is going to, uh, for a game of Thrones reference, like break the wheel, like they are going right. to come in and, you know, they may get married at 40, you know, they don't care at all. Like they're going to do what makes them happy and, and figure it out. Um, which I think is positive. You know, I think that's a good thing. I'm just glad that there are more options. I mean, Cleveland is just a really great place for workforce development and kind of, um, you know, college alternatives and also just great for higher education too. So I feel like, um, you know, this is a really great place to be to kind of plan your next step. I agree. I think Cleveland, I'm new to, I've lived in Ohio for two years. I lived down here in Columbus, but Cleveland feels very, it feels like a connected city, you know, and that's just me on the outside looking in, but it feels as if you know, the higher ups are working together, businesses are working together, government, it feels that way. Now, look, not everything's perfect. I'm sure there are breakdowns, but it it mm -hmm. feels as if you can navigate it. I don't yeah, know it does feel like it's the same fabric. I think leaders are one to two phone calls away. Like, you know, if you really wanted to, you know, talk to the mayor or talk to someone at, you know, leading GCP, like you could, you could get to that person as opposed yeah. to other places like Chicago, like you would never yeah. get through the fence. Right. And I think that's really something I've heard, um, you know, people who've either boomeranged or kind of settled in Cleveland that they're fascinated by. And it's just amazing that, you know, it feels like the fabric is well-connected, the leaders are accessible. Um, and I, I just couldn't agree more with that. Um, okay, so you mentioned your book club. One of the things that you connected with Taylor on was the book Small Giants. Um, yes. I have not read this book. Can you tell the readers about the book and, and the philosophy behind it? Yeah, so um, gosh, Small Giants is an all-time favorite book, probably, um, you know, definitely the one of the best reads I've read in the last five years. Um, it It puts so many of my gut feelings and instincts into words that I didn't know how to say before. Um, we often see how growth happens to companies um, kind of passively, you know, the cycle of more work, more people, even more work, hire even more people. And the cycle continues as a part of nature and, you know, growth happening to companies rather than a conscious choice. So Small Giants looks at companies who have chosen to be small and mighty. Um, it shatters the idea that success is being big, um, it, that greatness means being big, um, mm -hmm. and it doesn't. It looks at how these small and mid-sized companies are beloved by their communities, how employees belong, and how their leaders show up. Um, a few of our principals have read it, uh, which has been so valuable to have that shared language and shared reference. Um, I've had, I've loved sharing this with many of my friends of different fields like Taylor and getting their perspectives on this. And I only just found out last month that there is a strong small giants community with local chapters, member content, and apparently a big popular annual conference. So I'm looking into how to plug into that community. Very cool. I need to add that to my list. Um, very cool. So last question, we'll get you out of here on this. Tell us about your experience with the Cleveland Bridge Builders Program and what all that entails. Yes. Oh, gosh. We had our first Bridge Builders Retreat last week. Um, 
and I'm still feeling so energized and inspired um, by it. The program carries mid-career leaders through a year of growth. Um, our program leaders are clear that we would feel uncomfortable and vulnerable and that, you know, the retreat itself raised my self-awareness and civic spirit to new heights that I haven't felt in a long time. Um, the program runs September to June and centers on a leadership action project uh, where a small group of bridge builders helps an assigned nonprofit. So our group, we learned last week, will be working with Big Hearted Blooms, a nonprofit who recycles flower arrangements from weddings, large events, and sends them to hospitals, rehabilitation homes, and care facilities. So I'm really very excited very to start cool. working with my group and Big Hearted Blooms. That's very cool. I like it. Well, we'll have to have you on again uh, in a couple of months and learn how the program's going. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, I lied. Actual last question. Uh, okay. We always ask some uh, our guests their favorite food spots on where they live or where they, where they went to school. We're going to focus on where you live. So what are, what are the go-to spots? Uh, could be breakfast, lunch, dinner um, that you frequent in Akron. Yes. So Akron has so much to offer modern foodie. I mean, the Cleveland scene is great, but I always recommend Square Scullery, which I actually recommended to Taylor and he took me up on. So it's a very resilient, small build business who sacrificed a lot to make it on the other side of the pandemic. So I love supporting them. Um, Ohio Magazine has called them where punk rock meets gourmet, which I think is, is really just um, fascinating and fabulous. So if you're looking for something more formal, um, Diamond Grill is an Akron institution. It, it was established in the 40s and it's a little fine steakhouse with dazzling interiors and hand-painted wallpaper. So whenever family is in town, that's where they wanna go. Nice. Awesome. Well, Haley, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, best of luck with the Bridge Builders program and everything you have going on uh, by Lasky. And uh, yeah, we'll have you on again in a couple of months and, and check in. But we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for inviting me, Paul. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.